You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Uh, I am your host, Anthony Abbott. On this episode, I am joined by Dean Arrowsmith. Uh, Dean is the chairperson of Head in the Game, which is an Irish charity dedicated to mental health. And Dean is also director of coaching, I hope I'm getting this right, for Region 300 of the American Youth Soccer Organization based in Chicago. Did I get that right? You did indeed, yeah. Thanks oh. very much, Anthony. That's, that's as good of an uh, introduction as I'm ever going to get. Yeah, there you go, man. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, I, I just thought, like, you know, obviously we're going to talk about heading the game because it's a, it's a big thing back home, but I just thought it'd be good to learn about what you're doing in the States. So you've been involved with coaching, I saw, since a young age. So from Coot Hill to Chicago, uh, it sounds like a Christy Moore song, that. Uh, what, got you, <laughs> what got you interested in going down the coaching route? Um, so I, I suppose, look at like most young lads, you always want to play, you know, and you have that dream that you want to go out and play professionally. And <laughs> I kind of realised very early when I wasn't getting played for Coot Hill Harps that the chance of me talking out for Manchester United was never going to happen. Uh so I think I, I turned 16. Um, my, my father actually is one of the founders of Cotill Harps and he I kind of hinted at him that I wanted to get into coaching. Um, and I think a, a month after I turned 16, um, I went and done my kickstart badges back home in Ireland. Um, I think they're, they have a different name now, but I done my kickstart one uh, up in Dundalk and, and it kind of just blossomed from there. You know, the Cotill at underage level didn't have... I think there was maybe one coach coach in about five different teams at the time. And Jesus. He he gave me the under 15s when I think it was 16 and a half when I coached my first team. And it was only a team very close to my own age, but it's been a, it's it's been a, a definitely a labor of love. And, and and that's pretty much where it started, you know. But I've I, I've been very lucky that, you know, I, Tom Mohan, who's the Irish under 19 manager for, for the Republic of Ireland now, is the um he was the regional development officer at the time for the Northeast. And Tom, you know, I got my apprenticeship kind of under Tom. Um, just how, at such a young age, you know, now that I'm a little bit older, uh, still a young fella, or at least I like to think I am. But, <laughs> you know, at a young age, when you're learning from the likes of Tom, and I would have been, I, I was a nobody on these camps, and I would have been coaching or, or sitting around at lunchtime, you would have been with people that were playing with Monaghan United, Dundalk, you know, people that were within the League of Ireland. And, I'm just a sponge, so I just take a lot of that information from people uh, as best I can. But yeah, that's kind of a long-winded answer. But yeah, I'm coaching since I was 16. So obviously, like you're in in Chicago, as you mentioned. So how did that opportunity arise to to coach in the states? Um, so the first time that I went to the states was 2009. I, I was studying um a, a sports degree in in DKIT in Dundalk, and it just wasn't just college wasn't for me at that point I had my my kickstart too I had my youth cert um through the FAI you know so the opportunity came up um to, to go out I think someone came in to have a conversation with us in the school to to have uh, to go out for six months out to the states and I, I went out in 2009 and full disclosure I absolutely hated it I was only 20 uh, so I couldn't <laughs> I could couldn't drink, you know. I couldn't drink or anything legally. Uh, not to say I didn't drink. I couldn't couldn't legally drink at the time in the states. But uh, just I I think you know I, I was young at the time. Um, didn't really grasp the opportunity that I had, you know, that kind of way. And but it was always uh, I, I came home obviously the end of two thousand and nine. And it, it was always in the back of my head that I was going to come back out. And I, I, again, I've I've been very fortunate throughout my coaching that. I had an opportunity to go in as kit man for Dundalk for a week um, in 2010. I ended up staying for three years with the club as kit wow. man. Um, 
which was again, which which again, you know, being around the first team, Ian Foster was the manager at the time. Ian's now the the English under nineteen manager. Wayne Hatswell, who's the assistant manager at Newport County, who's Hats is one of my best mates today. You know, b- being around people like that there in that environment full time for three years, two, three years was just again, I, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but looking back on it, what I learned uh being in that dressing room at the time, it just stands me stands me in good stead. But again, America was always just on the back of my mind. Um, got a chance to coach with Coothill Harps again with, with one of the senior teams for a couple of years. And in 2015, I, I was kind of just, I wasn't happy with what I was doing in my, in my everyday job, you know, back home. So the opportunity again came, I was 25 and I said, look, if I don't take this opportunity, I'm, I'm probably never going to, I'm never going to do it again. You know, I'm, I'm, even though I'm still 25, still a young age, but you, you kind of, the older you get, the harder it is to, to make that move. And, um, went out in 2015, and kind of the rest is the rest is history. You know, I've, I've, I've I think I went home for four months, maybe between then and t- 2016, and then I haven't haven't apart from a holiday, I haven't been home really at all since then. Wow! So I, I saw on the, the 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 site there of the um, of the Region 300 thing that they call it a couch potato. How do you feel about they that? Do, yeah. <laughs> uh, well. I used I used to be coach potato I should say not couch potato (laughs) I I got the the fucking joke wrong Jesus (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I uh, I've been called both but yeah no look it's definitely going from coaching you know in that high level environment with Dundalk and even coaching senior men to going down to being called coach potato in America working with with seven eight year olds is is definitely it's it's a shift in the culture but it's it's definitely, you know, it's been good. It's been good for me because it's kind of, I was, I always, as a coach, I'm one that I, I think I can get the best out of players and I think I'm quite relatable to players. I, I'm not one of these tactical savvy coaches that you see nowadays that it's all about the X goals and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm more about how I treat the person and we'll talk probably a little bit more about that when we get into heading the game and you, people will understand probably more why I, I, I coach like that. And I just took that aspect of what I'd done in, in senior level into the underage stuff. And I just, honestly, the, the opportunity to just be involved in coaching every day. I mean, in season, you know, we were talking off air, this time of year is a little bit quieter for me, but in season, um, in the summertime and in the spring and the fall, it's seven days a week, you know, and you have to love, if you're going to do something every day, you have to love what you do. <clears throat> Pardon me. And it's, uh, it's just, it's brilliant. And it's kind of, being out here with Region 300 and you know what I just came in as a staff coach in 2016 and I think it was August 2017 I became the director of coaching at the club um, has given me that kind of kick up the arse that I needed to go and continue my education to and continue to improve so since I've been here I've gone through the US coaching licenses uh, up to the USSFC license and uh, I've completed my UEFA B uh, license through the FEI well, hopefully I'll be doing my UFA next year as well. Um, and that, that's all, you know, that's all thanks to to what I'm doing now um, with AYSO 300. So, so uh, as you mentioned there, like, you know, you're, you've gone from coaching like men to coaching kids. I'm sure like it's a big culture shock for you. When you were growing up and you were playing as a kid, like how have things evolved since then? Like, you know, like when, uh, like when I was a kid, it was like literally like it was still 11 aside, seven or eight year olds running around the full size pitch. It was mental, right? So like how have things evolved since you were a kid? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, the, the dimensions obviously have changed, you know, with different age groups, like up until under 10s, they play 7v7. Then I think it's under 11, under 12, they play 9v9 and then it goes 11v11, which there's always a debate is that even too soon for them moving into that um but i mean the biggest thing for me is i think every league and i think this is universal i don't think it's just in the us but it's roll on roll off subs at though you know at all ages of underage where you know back when i played and one of the reasons again that i got into coaching is when i was under 13 under 14 i went two full years without getting it getting a minute on the pitch you know i, I never missed wow. the training session you know so there's there's less rootlessness rootlessness in coaching. Um, I think nowadays I think I got that right, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it it's one of those where it's player it, it's becoming player development over winning. Which not every coach does that, to be honest. But uh, but I think a lot more coaches are moving that way. Is it, it, it's more about developing the player over over actual getting results. Where back you know 
17, 18 years ago when I was when I was those ages, it was it was rootless. You know, that's the, that's the best way to put it. You know, and it's uh, it's just not, it's nice to see it going that way. I mean, a big difference as well between Ireland and, and the US is US obviously is a massive pay to play system. Um, and that, that's been a big shock to me every year. We have to run tryouts where, you know, back home we could have harps at under 14. There's only one team, you know, so that, te- that team squad might have 25, 30 players, but you might not play every week, but you're still going to get a run of games, you know, that kind of way. Um, yeah. We're here. It's almost like there's a status kind of as to where you go. And, and with being with an AYSO where it's kind of, we're seen as a recreational thing, even though all football is recreational. So I hate even I hate even saying that that it's recreational. You know, all, all football we play because we love it. Um, people say do you know you have to pay more money to play at a more competitive club, even though you you play it to compete. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's recreational and, and it and it's competing. So I think that that's been something that in the states has definitely been a bit of a shock to me. And every year. You know, if a player leaves to go to somewhere else because it's it's perceived as being a superior superior club or superior product, I still kind of struggle with that today, and that's something that I'm just trying to learn to get over. But it's yeah, it's uh, there's loads of differences. It it just feels like uh, with that system, like a the poor kids are probably going to miss out an awful lot, um, and b it's like it's it it's almost open to abuse like how do you get that status you know what i mean like it's like it, it just seems like when you when you start bringing money into stuff like it's you're just gonna you're just leaving a bunch of people behind which kind of seems really unfair yeah and and that's one of the reasons to be honest why i kind of fell in love with with coaching at region 300 is because because it's an ay so we're able to charge a little bit less one of the kind of knockoff effects of that is historically it means the better players do eventually leave that culture is slowly starting to change. But I mean, we, you know, we, we don't turn any player away. If there's a player that's enough to participate in our program, and I, I, I don't I don't even like using terms like good enough because that's all subjective to each coach, you know, but we would, we would absolutely make sure that if, if a child wanted to play in our program, that, that we would have somewhere for them and we would be able to fit them in. I mean, one of the knockoffs as well of that pay to play system. I mean, I'm a product of that because if there wasn't a pay to play system, I wouldn't be able to do this as a full-time job, but AYSO just does a good job of making sure that it's, it's financially sustainable for that, for, for the lower end of, of, of income or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. The lower end of, of people's family income, you know, that, that that sounds great like i mean like it's it's always important for everybody to get a fair shot so i mean like for for parents like who are looking to bring their kids like up to their first football training like what advice would you give them like as in a like looking for places to go and b like what what can they expect like again i, I i'm not going to name names of some of these other clubs but people will show up to try out with other programs and you know they'll have their top tier team then they'll have the tiers that will play against the likes of our club and they'll charge the same. They'll charge the same money as the top team, or slightly less than the top team, but still Jesus. two or th- two or three times what they charge us. So I think that's the first thing: is just do your homework of the club and, and do your homework. Do they really want my child, or do they want my money? You know, and, and that's the biggest thing for me. But I I advise all our families and even people when they are considering moving on somewhere else within our environment, come and speak to me beforehand. I'll be able to tell you if I feel like this is a good fit for your child. If I feel like they should stay with us. But an advice I would give to parents is watch the coaches, you know, watch how the coaches interact with, with the kids and find out, especially in the States here, find out who is going to be coaching your child. You know, that, that has to be a big thing because if someone's going to make a 12-month, 24-month commitment to your child, they have to be the right fit and they have to be someone someone that's going to have the best interest to your child at heart and that, that has to be above, above everything else. So a question kind of along the, the similar lines, like, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, like there's those kids that move on, but like, I mean, like for kids, parents of like really talented kids, you know, ones that like will have like scouts looking at them or whatever, like, so what advice can you give those parents? Cause I mean, like, I think a lot of it is that like, it's hard not to put pressure on your kids. Like at the end of the day, it's supposed to be fun. Right. But I mean, obviously there's going to be kids that are going to stand out against other ones. So like, what advice would you give those, those parents uh, to, uh, to, to to handle like their the talented kids. Yeah, I think just kind of echoing what I said in the last one. I think the, the biggest thing is you know if, if the scouts from multiple clubs come and looking at your child is 
a lot of them will invite them over, you know, maybe for a trial or invite, invite them to try out is go to as many of those as you can and figure out what the best fit is for your, for your child. You know, I've, I've been lucky enough, you know, around the Cavamon area where Jake Doyle Hayes was a player I would have had a little bit of contact with this now playing with Hibs in the, in the SPL. Um, Johnny Leddy's a player that I coach very closely who went to, I think it was Ipswich. Uh, he's now playing in, in the Northern Irish Premier League, but these players, you know, had Manchester United's, they had the big clubs, they had Man City's, Liverpool's, you know, clubs that they supported themselves as kids, all looking at them. And it's it's one of those where just because it's that name and I can walk around town and say, well, I'm playing for Manchester United. You might not be, you know, you might be signed to a contract and you might not get a minute on the pitch at under 15 level and under 16. You need to go somewhere where you're going to play. And I think that that's just, if I was to able to give any advice to anybody that's maybe has kids, as you said, are, are on the on the periphery of getting scouted is go visit these places. Go see how they're going to look after your child because, I mean, it's easier now to contact family members than it was maybe 15, 16 years ago. But especially if, if they're not in the same country or even in, in countries as big as Canada or the US and stuff where you can't just drive two hours to see your child you have to make sure that wherever they're going is somewhere that, that is going to look after them. Um, so for parents, you, you can't just think in a football sense, you have to think in a personal sense of who's going to who's gonna best look after my child. And I think that's a big a big thing because like, you know, from doing the show, like I've talked to a lot of people like that have ended up playing in the USL or the CPL here in Canada or wherever. And that's that's a huge thing where like, you know, like the, the, it's the highlight name, you know, like the, the, these kids go off to Europe and they're playing, well, like starting off at uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, wherever like that. But it's such a, like, it's such a, a conveyor belt, you know? It's like there's constantly like scouting kids and stuff. And I don't think people realize that. So it's really great advice yeah. that, you know? So I, so I saw as well that you're, you're, you're going to take the UEFA Youth uh, Elite B course. It applied for that, but I'm actually, um, they, they've offered me the chance to, to, um, to interview in January for the UFA license instead, yeah. which would be a step up from that. So hopefully, um, fingers crossed, I'll get on that because I think for me, long term, I'm, I'm still very ambitious as a coach. I love what I do at AYSO 300, but ultimately getting into the adult game is is what I would like to do. You know, that would be a dream, whether that be coaching college or coaching, coaching at, at a higher level in, in terms of the men's game. So I just feel like instead of solely looking at the US licenses where it's not, maybe not, not as recognised globally, I can go with the UEFA license where it seems it seems like you can get a job pretty much anywhere with that. And and like I mean, like just so many opportunities for coaches in the states now. As you said, like there's college level, then there's um, USL, uh, there's MLS. So I mean, like you're in the perfect spot for it, right? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, like Chicago in the Midwest is a hotbed. You know, you've got if you even look at just Chicago and. Wisconsin, you've got Madison FC now who are doing great things up up in Wisconsin. You've got the fire here. You've got the Red Stars. There's there's Chicago House playing in the NISL, and then you've got now Chicago City uh, Soccer Club, which a mate of mine actually runs. They're going to be play USL Women's League in the USL too. So, you know, there's just so so many opportunities, and it's just getting that chance, you know, and and. Hopefully, when I have that UEFA A license, um, hopefully by the end of next year or early early twenty twenty three, um, it might just broaden my CV a little bit more, you know, to make me more attractive for for opportunities that might come along. I love it. I love it. So it's great to hear like uh, people having like the ambition to go on and like better themselves. You know, it's 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 it's, it's awesome. So uh, just switching to head in the game, um, can you just tell us like a little bit about the charity itself and uh, what it does and why you started yeah so to, to go back to where we started from so uh, in 2020 the end of July I think it was the last day or two in July 2020 um, Dundalk FC's videographer Harry Taft uh, tragically passed away by suicide and it, it was you know because there's been so much kind of suicides and things like that in Ireland just to give a little bit of context for people that are that are listening um, Ireland is one of the lowest suicide rates in Europe um, right now but it's the fourth highest between 15 to 24 year olds in Europe um, which is a crazy st- statistic but anyway ha- Harry passed away um the end of July and everybody was tweeting and it was it, it's horrible you know and, and I was one of them and everybody tweets when you when you hear the sad news it's okay hashtag it's okay not to be okay and 
that's fantastic that everyone is raising that awareness. But then the day after that, it stops. You know, the day after everybody kind of moves on and it's forgotten about. And it's, to me, it came across to me like it was a little bit of a token gesture that you would say, you know, like you would say, RIP to someone that died of a heart attack. You'll say it's okay not to be okay. And then that's that. So myself and um, I think it was six other lads from the dock got together. And we were like, this, this is, it's unacceptable. You know, nobody knew that Harry was sick. Harry was this larger than life character. You know, he'd go out of his way to help you. If he came walking towards you, you would think he's coming to hit you a punch. But then he put his arm around you. You know, he's just the, the nicest valley you can meet. Um, a real gentleman. And I worked closely with Harry in 2012 during my time with Dundalk as well. So it kind of hit me a little bit harder as well, being away from home and, and, and not being able to get back there. But we got together. Uh, we, we set up a WhatsApp group. And we were like, we need to do something. And we were looking to specifically target the football community back home. So true to that, Heading the game was born, and I, I wrote a poem called "The Floodlights," um, which came out. I think it was in September of last year. It came out. We managed to get James McLean to say a line on it. Andy Reid, that used to play with Ireland, Megan Campbell, who's an Irish international, she's playing with Liverpool ladies, and then a lot of supporters from the league. So we got them to send in them saying a line from the from the poem, and we put it all together and launched it. And I mean, it it blew us away. I mean, I. I the day we put it out, I told the lads I'm away for a 10 mile run because I can't look at my social media. I was like, I need to just get out. <laughs> I, I'm afraid because, you know, when when you put kind of, as I say, I wrote it the day after Harry passed and it was kind of like, I'm afraid of how it's going to be received, you know, that kind of way. And yeah. thankfully, thankfully it was received very well. And we ended up, I think it got like, in a week, it got 250,000 um, impressions through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and things like that there. So, from that we kind of said look we're on to something here you know and, and we got a little bit of attention from people within the FAI and and different organizations so so we moved with that and we've done a little bit of fundraising last year we partnered with two charities Shine and Jigsaw um, we chose them because Jigsaw is a charity back home that works with mental health for that younger age that 15 to 24 um, specifically and then Shine is a lesser known um, a lesser known mental health charity who work with um who who work kind of more general, you know, more with the adult population. It was just kind of important for us that rather than going for maybe the bigger name charities, we go for charities that would need the fund or and, and we draw attention that it's not just these they just they don't have the funding to to actually get their um to get their um their voice out there, you know. It's incredible. So I mean like draw they have like named their Stadium uh, after the charity, which I think Joanna, the councillor Joanna Bourne, put it put you forward and stuff like that. Like so, like see, seeing that, how does that make you feel? Like that you know that the message is getting out there. Like that's it's that's an insane thing to happen in such such a short space of time. Yeah, I can't believe you've asked the dog fan how he feels about dropping. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be in with the whole thing. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I say that every time I'm asked. Um, but no, it, look, it's fantastic, you know. And even like a, during this time, when I have a little bit of downtime, I'll play football manager this time of the year. And football manager actually has head in the game parking on it this year as well, you know. So we've got a reach that 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 amazing gesture by Joanna um, and Drahdi United for actually going ahead with it as well. The reach that that has gotten us, it, it's something that, again, we weren't really, we weren't, I don't know if expecting is the right word, but we weren't ready for that. And like everything over the last 16 months has really snowballed for us. Uh, and we're only kind of taking stock of it now and kind of pl- strategically planning how we move going forward. But after that, um, and again, I would have a bit of a brass neck. And I don't know if it's because I, I grew up in Calvin, but I'm not afraid to ask for stuff. So I had reached out to um, to Jonathan Courtney, who uh, who's the managing director for Jack Sports back home about potentially Umbro um, releasing a one-off jersey um, for head, with heading the game with our logo and stuff. And he actually designed, gave us a specific design that no other club in the world has the design. Um, we launched those jerseys and within four hours they were sold out. We, we got 120 of them made. 20, 20 euro from each was going, from each one sold was going, uh, was being split and going towards both charities, Shine and Jigsaw. Um, it, it went that well that we actually released a mini range so we've got the home jersey we've got an away jersey and we've got a training top now which again they're they're flying out um, at the minute 
I contacted the FEI to see is there anything that they would be interested in, in partnering with us in. And I got speaking to Derek O'Neill there, who runs the, the community. I think he's the community manager for the FEI. And we ended up getting every captain in the League of Ireland, uh, First Division, Premier Division and the Women's National League during the month of May for Mental Health Awareness Month, all wore a head in the game captain's armband to promote mental health in the games. Um, Dundalk FC, I have to give them a little bit of credit now as well, seeing as we gave dro- the drugs credit just to balance <laughs> things out. But uh, Dundalk have the head in the game, have a head in the game banner up uh, pitch side, you know, um, which is great because that's like not for, I don't know how it works for every other club, but that's probably a thousand euros worth of sponsorship money that isn't being used. So, so to have that um, is fantastic. And it also has Shine and Jigsaw's logos on them. So again, it just, Every, everything we do, we want to draw attention to the, to our charity partners as well. Um, there's a load of clubs who have put up around around Ireland have put up the head in the game pitch signs as well. You know, junior clubs. Um, I'm trying to think: is there anything else? Uh, there's probably a load. I'm probably going to annoy people. Or the PFAI actually, the PFA Ireland partnered with us this year. Um, and last week we actually had, uh, or two weeks ago when I was back home in Ireland. The PFA, PFA Ireland renamed their Young Player of the Year Award, the Head in the Game Young Player of the Year Award, which was won by Dawson Devoy from Bohemians. Um, they gave us an opportunity to speak on the night, which Derek Pepper, who's on our committee, um, who also works for one of our charity partners, Shine, got up and spoke. And I mean, the end of the season, at PFA Ireland Awards, we were told, like, these lads haven't drank all year. They're going to enjoy themselves, you know. Um, the dinner and free drink and all that was going on. And then it was our turn to speak. And the whole room fell silent, you know, when Derek spoke. And we had another video launched uh, that we launched. I think um, you may have seen it on our social yep. medias. A fantastic piece, which was commissioned by by us for or by Ryan Keenan for us. Um, he he wrote that and performed it within probably two days. You know, it was an amazing wow. piece of work. Um, and we have a chap, Ryan Duffy, who, who actually designed our logo and does all our media stuff. And he, he was the one who filmed it. Um, but again, you know, we had that video played at the PFA Ireland Awards and, and that was, it, it just, I was talking to someone about it yesterday where it kind of, during that moment, that, that's the moment where I realised, well, this, this is something big because there's a room full of these people, they're all giddy because it's the end of the season, it's a long season, it's been a long 2021 with COVID for, for football, for everybody, but for footballers as well. And the whole room just fell silent. It was almost like this electric atmosphere. And I was like, wow. You know, and we, I'm sitting with my back to Stephen Kenny, the, the Irish manager. And Stephen comes over after and he's congratulating us on the success. And when you have people like Stephen, Stephen Kenny and Jonathan Hill, who's the new CEO of the FBI, when you have these people coming and actually congratulating you on what you're doing, you know that you're doing good. So, yeah, it's just been... <laughs> Sorry, I've I've put it all in about two or three minutes for you there, but it's it's just been it's been mental. You know, it's it's the best yeah. way to say it. it's it's been crazy. You know, but it's it's very fulfilling. It's it's a second job at times. Um, you know, it takes up a lot of time, but it's it's knowing that we've made a difference. And I can say I can say firsthand that I I know from personal experiences that I've had over the last twelve months that heading the game has helped me. Um, so I know it's it's definitely helping people. You know, which is which at the end of the day that that's our main objective. I mean, it's it's definitely been like a whirlwind. Like I've seen the the Umbra stuff. It's it's beautiful. It's re- it's really good. Like I uh, I'll, I'll put it like a little link on the the, the thing there for people to to go buy it because it's 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 really nice stuff and it's great that it's, money is going to the, the the charities you mentioned. But as well, like I mean, I saw some of the pictures of you there in your tuxedo with Stephen Kenny and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the video gave me like hairs on the back of my neck when I watched it. It's 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 an incredible piece of work. But at the end of the day, it's like you must be happy that this, despite all the razzmatazz and all that kind of stuff, as you mentioned, like the message is getting out there. I mean, like with the pandemic bringing restrictions and it's also affecting people's mental health. Like what what advice, do, like what, what, what do you say to people who might not be feeling right you know what i mean like i don't know i don't have to explain it like how to say it properly but you know if somebody's not like you know if something's not right in your own head like i mean like what's what advice would like what advice would you give people yeah so i, th- I think you know the biggest thing is uh, and it, it sounds quite cliche is you know speak about it you know find someone you can talk to about your problems um it makes it makes a lot of a lot of difference 
um, that's not that's not easy for everybody, you know. And I and I understand that. Um, on the flip of that, if you if you notice a change in somebody's mood, you know, just ask them how are you doing. You know, it, it's it's one of those where when Derek was speaking at the, at the awards a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned that it's emotional distress. You know, it, your mental health having a negative impact or being negatively impacted is the same as you know if you're not out exercising all the time your physical health might be negatively impacted it's the exact same thing you know it's you have to look after your mental health as much as you look after your physical health and, and i think that's from our, our perspective that is something that we're trying to get across is that it's it's not uh it's not just something that's a quick fix it's not something but it, it may not be something that's a long-term issue as well it's not just people people kind of group mental health in with mental illness you know and mental illness is seen as a negative and we're trying to kind of change that. And we're trying trying to change it in a, in a way that if you're struggling, you know, you can reach out to someone and on our, on our, all our social medias, we're quite active. We've got three people looking after the social media at all times where if someone is having a tough time, they can DM us and we can point them in the direction of, of the people to go speak to. Apart from Derek on our committee, none of us are trained in, 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 in how to help people with mental health but what we can be and what we want heading the game to be is that signpost you know again as I say if you're struggling you can talk to the Samaritans you can talk to a, a suicide hotline I mean I, I don't want to get too personal with my own situation but my wife and I were going through a situation last December um, and there was no one for us to talk to it was it was the week before Christmas there was nobody for us to talk to and on a, on a Saturday morning the two of us called a mental health or called uh, the National Suicide Hotline and just having somebody that would listen to us for a half an hour gave us a big help. So, you know, just speaking to someone, there's a lot more people that want to help than you might think. Um, and a small problem shared, you know, just will will lighten the load. And, and that's the problem, you know, I think at the minute with the pandemic is these small issues are affecting people more than they would in, in, in a regular, you know, in regular life. Um, and with social media and all that, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on it, but it's just everything is a little bit bigger now because of the pandemic. And it's just making sure that everybody's uh, looking after after themselves. So, yeah, I would say you're, or, or just tell someone and, and you'd be surprised how many would be willing to help you. Yeah, I mean, like being from Ireland, like, like growing up, um, like the stigmatism around mental illness, it's like, you know, um, and I think it's still a problem that like young people, as you mentioned, like the, the statistic there, 15 to 25, it's like one of the highest in Europe, like for suicides. Um, like it, it's just, it, it's very difficult for, I think, for people to get the message across. Um, so, so, so where, where, where do you see this? Where do you see you going with it? Like what, what's the, what's the end game? And uh, I guess the bigger question, and it's a very difficult question to ask you, is like, how do we break down the barriers of st- the, the stigmatism behind like mental illness in Ireland, it's 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 a huge. It's I think it's a huge problem. Yeah, so I I think it's it's more the same of what we're doing. Like our raising money for our charity partners is a bonus for what for the work that we're doing. What we want to do is we want to ignite this conversation around mental health, and and that's why again you know I'm sure you'll probably give out my social media details at the end, but. You've seen, you know, with the situation that I was going through with my yeah. wife, I've been quite vocal about it because I don't want to be hypocritical and tell people they need to speak about the problems and then I bottle everything up. So I, I'm being quite open about mine. But it's, um, I think, you know, where we see head in the game going is we want to we want to make sure that as best we can, we can ignite this conversation in Ireland. I'm quite ambitious and I think within a football, a greater footballing community, we might be able to potentially get ahead in the game this could be a couple of years down the line, but we could get it to be something that's much bigger than, than Ireland. But we want to make sure that we keep our, our roots down in Ireland. And um, it's just changing, it's changing the mentality. And as you say, Ireland's a place, and especially for men, you know, it's a place where you don't talk about your problems. Yeah. You know, you, you just don't do it. Um, and then you go even further and you go into the football community. And I've, I've spoke to, to players within the league um, at times and they would say, you know, the dressing room isn't a place to tell people about your emotions and that. So through the work that we're doing with the PFA Ireland, we hope to go into the dressing rooms and actually give talks, deliver talks around mental health for the players because if players start opening up, and, and I've actually seen it in the last couple of weeks, um, 
on different podcasts that players have spoke about their, their issues that they've had um, over the last couple of years, that once they start doing it, then the younger generation that looks up to them, they're going to be feel, you know, the ability to be more open about their own problems. And hopefully, hopefully that will help eradicate some of, some of the issues that's going on back home. So as you mentioned, and like I, I don't want to like dig too deep into into your your personal life, but as you mentioned, like you have been posting stuff about what 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 happened, and um, it's 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 been tough for for me reading what you're going through, and like I can only imagine like what what it's been like for you. But you didn't, I I did read that you 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 did like the Chicago, the Chicago Marathon in in memory of your your daughter and stuff like that. So like reaching that fin- finish line. Like, what was the emotions that you were having, like, like, like seeing that in front of you and then getting your medal? So I was side in um, in 2017, and I done the 2019 marathon. That's how, that's why I actually got into running because he was he was known as the TikTok runner. So uh, I got into running because of that. And then last year, last December, this time last year, we lost our daughter. Um, she had a, she had a very bad heart problem, and 21 weeks into the pregnancy, we lost her. So. This year, I said instead of running for my uncle, I'd run for her. And you know, when we lost her, we got her cremated, and she's in a little teddy bear. So my wife was at the finish line with her. Um, now for October the tenth in Chicago, and for anybody that's listening that maybe is in the mid the Midwest is a little bit bipolar when it comes to the weather. Um, so it ended up, I think it was like seventy three or eighty something degrees halfway through the race which which for people back home was about 23 degrees I think or something like that Irish uh, degree Celsius and that's a that's a that's a, through the race that's and a beach day at home right like, exactly yeah yeah so <laughs> halfway through I think it was on mile 12 I was like I'm, I'm not going to be getting any personal bests here you know I was like I just have to finish it and it was it was one of those where I think at mile 12 and the first time I've ever done a race in five years we were running I was just like all I need to do is get to the finish line to my daughter that, that was it that was my end goal um, to get back to her at the end and it was one of those where because it was so warm on the day there was people actually were passing out on the course and I was seeing that and it was like I feel like I could do that you know I feel like I could stop at any moment and then it was just like I just have to get back get back to see her um, so it was Tough. I mean, it was tough. It was very emotional when I got to the finish line. Um, but it was for the first time, like when I done the marathon in 2019, I actually cried when I crossed the finish line. This time it was a sense of relief that I got to the end. I'm going to see her now in a few minutes, you know, that kind of way. Um, I did almost faint once I got past the finish line this year. I had to get <laughs> medical help. But, uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's one of those where, again, you know, we go back to mental health and we go back to, you know, you were asking about what people could do running has become almost a way for me to look after my mental health you know this, this time of year is obviously this is the first year I've gone through it's been very tough I'm out running a 5k every day just to keep my own head in check you know so it's very um that's that's therapeutic for me um so yeah so that, to answer your question that that was that was why um that was why the Chicago Marathon just was on a personal level, you know, given what we'd gone through over the, it was what, 10, 10 months previous, uh, previous to that time, it was just getting back to see her. Like that was, that was just my end goal. It was don't care about the time finish. She's at the finish line. That That's my finish line is when I can, when I can see her and see my wife. So, um, I, I, I know you did, uh, I, I think I saw right that you're in November. You're doing like a hundred k. You're raising some some money for uh, share, which is like um, to help people in your situation. So, like, uh, how did how did that charity help you? And um, what was that month like doing that much running? <laughs> um. So yeah. So again, I'm a little bit of an idiot when it comes to just putting myself through things and. I said to uh, to my wife like we wanted to do something down or her her due date was May fourth, um so April fourth to May fourth we were doing a hundred k for Charlie May is what we named our daughter, um, so share share is a group um based here in Illinois I think there might be a different share charters throughout the U S but um share is for parents who are bereaved you know who who lost babies during the during the pregnancy so <clears throat> once a month um my wife and I see 
attend this group online on Zoom of people that have gone through similar situations and have had to make uh, similar decisions that me and my wife had to make during the pregnancy. So they've been a phenomenal help to us. I mean, every month, we, we've only missed one meeting since we lost Charlie. Um, and that was this month because we were flying out to Ireland on the same day. We just couldn't couldn't make it happen. Um, but yeah, they, they have just been a tremendous help for us. Um, so we raised, between them and the Fetal Health Foundation, um, we raised 10,000 this year. Um, so they got five grand each. And then next year we're going to do it. So we're going to do um, share again. They're going to be our annual. Uh, we're going to raise for them. And we're going to do an Irish charity called Felicon, um, who I only found out about over the last couple of weeks. But Felicon pretty much do the exact same as what Share do um, just back home in Ireland. And the support, I mean, with the 100K, it was people people in Ireland, people in the US, people in the Ukraine, people in Slovakia that took part in it, you know. So it's, for for my wife and I, it's it's using an event like that to ensure that Charlie's had a massive impact. She was only in our lives for 21 weeks, but she's impacting the world now that she's not. she might not be with us in the way that we wanted um, so it's just letting her memory live on it's not us that are raising the money it's her that's raising the money and, and you know that that kind of money five grand for any kind of charity is, is big bucks and it's going to make a difference for, for people in, in situations like we've been through yeah man it, it's uh, and like you just posting stuff about it like if it, one person two people just see that it, it'll make a huge difference to them because not everybody knows these charities are out there. So um, it, it's an amazing thing that you're doing like um, on the back of something that's obviously heartbreaking for you and your wife. So just to, to finish up, man, cause uh, I could literally talk to you all day. You've had like such an incredible couple of years to be perfectly honest. Like, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been crazy, but um, I know you're a Dundalk fan. We talked a little bit uh, off air, but I did want to ask you like how you feel about all the changes, like with, the old owners being leaving and uh, new management and uh, all that kind of stuff. How, how are you feeling about the season ahead and uh, how the club's going? Yeah, I think it, it's going to be definitely, it, it, it's a transitional period. Um, and I actually, I'm part of a podcast, the Town End podcast, where we go live after Dundalk matches, or we, we have done this year, um, to discuss everything that's going on. So because of the basket case of a season we had last year, it's been, it's been top entertainment. We're hoping for a boring year next year. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Stevie, Stevie O'Donnell's come back in uh, as the head coach. Um, I think, you know, Stevie's a legend, like he's a gentleman. I actually, I met him at the PFA Ireland Awards the same day that he released a statement that he wasn't going to return to St. Pat's. And I asked him, I asked him, did he want to lift down the M1 the next day? I'm not going to tell you what he wrote back to me. Um, what he said back to me, sorry. But uh, but no, Steve, Stevie's a great fella. And I mean, he's, when it comes to to professionalism, you know, even though people are questioning his professionalism now with the situation that happened with Pat uh, and how he left, I mean, he he's one fella that you would say he's got that passion. He, he's got a passion that's very similar to what Stephen Kenny had in his time with the club. So I'm very optimistic. I mean, I think, you know, our ownership group is Andy Connolly, who was involved in the club as chairman chairman or one of the owners during our most successful time, during the Stephen Kenny era. Um, the owners of Stat Sports are now involved as well. And, you know, a, a massive company. I mean, probably the biggest GPS tracking company for, for sports in, in the world at this point. So to have that kind of backing in a footballing sense, not even a financial sense, I think you've got people that are passionate about the club, you know, back back in the club hands. And you can probably tell from talking to me, I'm very passionate about it. I, you know, after I was let go in 2012, I ended up staying involved for, for nine months. I set up the Save Our Club committee with people to make sure the club didn't go out of business back then. So it, it kind of feels a little bit like that again. The only The only difference is, the club is in a much better standing than they were back in 2013 when Andy first got involved. So I'm quietly optimistic that I don't know, I don't know if we'd be competing with a Shamrock Grovers yet. Um, but I think bringing in Stevie, I think there's a long-term project there and I just hope our, our supporters will kind of um, give them the time that's needed to, to rebuild on, on what has been a tough couple of years for the club. Yeah. I mean, like, like being, being a Rovers fan and, and, and we've been through our, our own share of like uh, shit storms, um, I, I know that it, it, a lot of Rovers fans are probably like laughing about it because there's been a, a big rivalry between Dundalk and Rovers for quite a while. But like as a League of Ireland 
uh, person. Like you kind of have to want Dundalk to be successful and be a stable club because they are one of the biggest clubs in Ireland. And seeing it go through that awful. <laughs> like stretch with it like it was it was all like i mean the, the fact that you were like flame relegation after like the successful years you had it, it, it's just it's just shameful and i mean same with draw as well i mean like, they've been through the, the ringer as well and i think it's not good for irish football to have these swings like that you know what i mean like, like everybody we need we need the league to be stable and i think having people who are genuinely football people involved with clubs is the way to go um rather than the way this the American consortium come in and just pff, turned it into a, a laugh stock, you know. I, 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 you must feel happy that that part of the history is, is over and done with. Yeah, I think especially the last two years, you know, I have to say, and I'd be a little bit hypocritical if I if I was completely talking shit about the, the American owners because they were very good to me when Mike Tracy was chairman like when when they took over the club initially they actually brought me into their offices their offices are based in Chicago because I think they were surprised that someone in, in the city of Chicago actually knew who Dundalk FC was <laughs> so, so they, brought, they brought me in to have a chat with me so I think you know once Mike left Mike left as chairman I think it was the end of 2019 and I think it all, it all went downhill then and it went downhill spectacularly you know I, I don't think anybody envisioned it to go the way that it went Um. so for that reason I mean the sustainability of, of outside ownership, I think we've seen with, with Cork City in previous years and things like that there, it, it's not viable. Yeah, it was just it, it was just a spectacular fall. You know, it's it, there's no bad other way to put it. And I think last year especially, you know, it was just, as I say, it was great entertainment if you're, if you're doing a Dundalk FC podcast, but it, it's horrible as a fan. And it was, it, it got to a point where someone... Someone like myself, and I would never say that I'm the most diehard Dundalk fan of all time, but I, I've been through a lot emotionally with the club. And for it to uh, to not want to watch games takes a lot for me. You know, and, and there was times last year where I, the interest just wasn't there. And it's just, it, it's kind of sad, sad to see it. But thankfully, like, common sense prevailed, you know, because I think when they were, when the club was being, being put up for sale, there was different people that were interested. And I think putting it back in local hands kind of saves face for peak six a little bit as well, you know, because yep. they're, they're entrusting people that know the club. Yeah, as you said, like it's, it's great that if the club is back in, uh, in local hands, because you look at what's happening down in Waterford, another shit show uh, from like owners that don't really seem to know, or haven't taken the time to find out what the club is in a local community. So do you think going forward, that's the model like that the, the club should be like fan owned, or do you think that like, the the league needs to do better at vetting who's taken over. Um, it's it's a little bit of both. I mean, you know, one one positive that's came out of the last year with Dundalk, um, Dundalk FC with the with the everything that's gone on is now there's a supporters club which there hasn't been since 2012. You know, there hasn't been a legitimate supporters club. Um, so I think. Long term, I think there has to be, you know, even if it's local owners that understand the landscape of the club, is they need to be willing to work with a supporters group. Um, I, I don't know necessarily if it's sustainable for every club to be supporter owned. I know, I think um, Shamrock Rovers have the 50 plus one where they're part fan based. Um, I know Bohemians are fan owned and they like to tell us about it, but uh, <laughs> really, you know, it's uh, yeah, uh. I just wish they would tell us yeah, more, no, like I put on the side um, of like a big building in the heart of Dublin or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, if, if there was a model that I would kind of follow, it would probably be Sligo Rovers. You know, their, their supporters do great work every year, but again, they're a big provincial town. Um, they don't have many clubs around them, so they've got a bigger, bigger uh, scope to do it. But yeah, it's, I, I think just having people that understand the club, understand the league, you know, because it, it is a good league. It's it's a league that can continue to progress. Um, but it just, uh, yeah, I, I think that f- having fan involvement is definitely something that has to be has to be thought of going forward. And that, that was the biggest thing that was lacking in the last two years with Dundalk. Yeah, I, I mean, like with, with Sligo, like uh, there's a, a guy that plays in Canada here, Daryl Fordyce, who played the season at Sligo. And he, he tweeted something the other day about that the club gives out young supporters free jerseys and it's like it's kind of like to build them up from when they're young too and I just think like initiatives like that are just incredible you know it, like it, it probably 
cost them a bit of money, but at the same time, you've got a fan for life, right? So um, it's an incredible league. I, 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 I love seeing like like Shamrock Rovers playing in Europe. Um, like Dundalk did an amazing job for the league too, and it's um, it long may it continue. So. Thank you so much for giving me so much time, man. Like I know you're a busy, you're a busy man there directing stuff, and uh, you've got so much on the on the go. So I really do appreciate it. Um, if people want to follow you and and, and hit up uh, heading the game, where can they find you on the social media? Um, yeah, so on uh, Twitter, I'm at Pingudine, um, and heading the game is at heading the game i i e. Um, and then on Instagram, it's Pingu the Gaffer for me, and it's uh, Head in the Game, i.e., on all our social media. So, um, so yeah, if anybody wants to, if anybody wants to to follow me, follow away. But more importantly, if you can give Head in the Game a follow and, and retweet the stuff that we're doing, then that that would be great. And what was the name of the Dundalk podcast again? Sorry. Uh, the Town End podcast. Okay, so if anybody needs a good laugh over Christmas, to scale back through some of the episodes from this season, and uh, <laughs> it'll definitely You've seen put me you crying in a good on a few of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thanks a million, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, have a great Christmas, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. You too, Anthony. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks yeah. a million. Cheers, buddy. Take care. Listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode.